0: Hi, my name is Matthew Belisario, and we're going to have part three today of the State of Grace uh, podcast series. And this will be the final part. The first two parts we went over, the first part we went over was what we see as the problem, the problem we face in the culture and in the church, kind of outside of ourselves, right? And then we went and we took a look at what the actual underlying problem was. And then in the second part we offered a solution of the rosary. In part three, we're going to continue on offering a solution and we're going to take a look. It's going to be broken into three little pieces here, this podcast, the third podcast, and I'm going to try to keep it at 30 minutes. So I'm just going to dive right in. The first part here is going to be on our lady, which kind of ties in to the rosary. We talked about the importance of the rosary and it, how it wasn't an option for Catholics to pray, that it really was something that we should all be praying daily. But here's a great quote by one of the great Marian saints of all time, St. Louis de Montfort. He says, The greatest saints, those richest in grace and virtue, will be the most assiduous in praying to the most blessed virgin, looking up to her as a perfect model to imitate and as a powerful helper to assist them. End quote. So now that we've talked, that we've talked about and discussed the importance of making the rosary an integral part of our daily prayer routine, I think it is fitting to talk about Our Lady. And there really is never too much attention that we can give to our Blessed Mother, for she leads us directly to her Son. She is the most perfect creation of God. She is crowned as the Queen of Heaven, and as we know, no one is higher than the queen, other than the king. Now there's a lot that can be said about our Blessed Mother, and I can't even scratch the surface on this podcast, because she is so wonderful, and we can really never give her enough honor. And uh, that's not making her the, the the fourth person of the, of the Blessed Trinity, so don't mistake me there if you're a Protestant out there listening. um. But she is the greatest created creature of God, above all the angels even. And that is really why Satan, one of the reasons Satan has great disdain and fear of our Blessed Mother. He has great disdain because she was never touched by sin. She was never in his hands, never in his grasp, once. And he's afraid because he cannot overcome her protection. And she is a human being and she's not an angel. So by order of creation, human beings are naturally lower than an angel. But the grace that our Lord gave our Blessed Mother puts her above all the angels. So one thing I would propose is that you have a healthy devotion to our Blessed Mother. Not only through the Rosary but just in everyday devotion. We should know that all graces, in some way, shape, or form, come to us through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, In our times, she is playing a unique role, I believe, and her role in crushing the devil is more heavily recognized now than in the past, and our Lord has designed it that way. Now, note also the use of her title in Scripture, and most Protestants don't realize and understand that when our Lord calls our Blessed Mother Woman, that it has a great significance. And this is not to put down the Protestants, but what we do is we hopefully try to educate uh, those who don't understand the Scripture references properly. And when our Lord calls the Blessed Mother Woman, it's actually a reference back to Genesis 3.15. In all actuality, the title refers to her fiat, which unloosed the knot of sin. And she's the antithesis to Eve. She's who, the one who destroys the power of the devil through her fiat and bringing about the incarnation of Christ. Now, of course, she does this in cooperation with the grace she's given by God. Again, don't mistake me by making her the fourth person of the Trinity. However, if you really stop and think about what's happening, and this is one thing that always bugged me when I was a Protestant, I'm a convert. When I was a Protestant and I would go to these Protestant churches and they would mock Catholics for, for, you know, having devotion to the Blessed Mother, and they would put her down. And I always felt, even not even understanding um, Mariology or understanding the Scriptures properly or understanding her role, I always thought one thing, and it was, you know, she's, must be pretty unique and she must be pretty special to have God in her womb. And that's what I always thought. I didn't really understand it, the details, but it always kind of repulsed me when people kind of joked around and, and that, because I thought that, you know, that's, you, you, you have, you're you really playing with fire there when you're, you're talking about someone that God chose to carry him in her womb. And so I put that warning out, if there are any Protestants listening to think about that. Whether or not you, you, you want to, at this point, agree with the, the, the Marian teachings, I would encourage you to stop and think about what God was actually doing and taking the consideration that he chose somebody very special and gave someone very special graces in order for him to be to, to come through uh, this this wonderful woman, his mother, whom he chose to be his mother, and chose to ha- come is the incarnation of God, incarnate. So I I would encourage everyone who who's listening to podcast who may not be Catholic to actually stop for a minute and think about this. But throughout history, we see our our Lady kind of coming more and more into view as the one. United to Christ who crushes the head of the serpent. Again go back and look at, at Genesis and what we see is our blessed mother playing a more prominent role and that's by, by, the, by design by the way of, of Jesus Christ our Lord who designed it this way and, and he gave his mother a special role even in the early church even though that wasn't there wasn't a whole lot written in, in the scriptures about uh, our blessed mother she remained to be hidden. she was very humble. But she had a great deal, if you read the Church Fathers, she had a great deal uh, of, of influence on the early Church. But we see that her influence was more hidden, more subtle than it is now uh, in the times that we live in. And again, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not a, coming here as some kind of a prophet saying that uh, tomorrow is doomsday and uh, the end of the world. But here's what St. Louis de Montfort says about our Blessed Mother. Quote, but the power of Mary over all the devils will especially shine forth in latter times, when Satan will lay his snares against her heel, that is to say, her humble slaves and her poor children, whom she will raise up to make war against him. They shall be little and poor in the world's esteem, and abased before all like the heel trodden underfoot and persecuted as the heel, is by the other members of the body. But in return for this they shall be rich in the grace of God, which Mary shall distribute to them abundantly. They shall be great and exalted before God in sanctity, superior to all other creatures by their lively zeal, and so well sustained with God's assistance, that with the humility of their heel, in union with mary they shall crush the head of the devil and cause jesus christ to triumph End quote so remember in the second part where i talked about actually i believe it was the first part where i mentioned that we must be willing to 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 be to to sacrifice again we see here a sort of sacrifice that we do in union with our blessed mother As we can see, we want to be united to Our Lady in these trying times. And when we begin to understand the important role of Our Lady, again, we begin to grow in the spiritual life. life. This again brings us back to the importance of praying the rosary. With every Hail Mary, we are asking for her intercession. There's also another important um, act we can perform to enhance our spiritual life and grow closer to God. It's a good idea to consecrate ourselves to the Blessed Virgin. Most of you have heard of total consecration that was promoted by St. Louis de Montfort. Others, such as the Franciscans of the Immaculate, have what they call the Marian Vow. If you've not consecrated yourself to Mary, I highly recommend it for the growth in in, in your spiritual life. And once we've consecrated and put ourselves under Our Lady's mantle, we again receive special graces. Now, I'm not going to elaborate this on uh, too much because I could have a whole series of podcasts on this one topic alone. However, if you've not done this, I highly recommend that you go see your priest um, and and, and, uh, consecrate yourself to the Blessed Mother. You can also do this by yourself, go through the whole Louis de Montfort preparation and so forth. And then there's also a form that you can fill out and so forth. But I would encourage you just to, even even if you're going to do it yourself, you can get the book, go through it all, and actually say the prayer of consecration and consecrate yourself to our, our Blessed Mother. There's much more I can say about the Blessed Mother uh, of God. She's absolutely wonderful and has helped me out in so many ways um, that I can't begin to explain them all or thank her enough because she always leads me closer to God. Now, before I move on to this to to the second part of this this podcast, I just wanted to briefly touch on the four Marian dogmas. The first one is the Divine Motherhood. This was defined at the Council of Ephesus in 431. And the title is first found uh, in the writing of Alexander of Alexandria around 270. And of course we see it uh, in Luke, in Scripture, Luke 143. She is the Mother of God. Number two, she is a perpetual virgin. Again, this is tradition. It's found in the 2nd century writings of St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus. All the church fathers attest to this. If you don't believe this, you're in, you're, you're, in, you're a heretic. Perpetual virginity. She never had any other children. And if you go understand scripture and how it was written, and, and, and the language it was written, you'll understand why we see this translation in English. Number three, Immaculate Conception. Pope Pius and I defined this officially in 1854, but we find writings, again, in the early church fathers, again, St. Ambrose and St. Ephraim uh, in the 4th century. So she was immaculate conceived, which means she was never touched by the devil, never touched by sin. She was preserved by a special grace so that our Lord can come and dwell among her. She is the Ark of the, of the Covenant in a sense. She, she was freed from sin. Again, defined truth. Number four, the assumption. She was assumed into heaven. Pope Pius XII officially made this uh, a dogma in 1950, but we see other references in the early church again. uh, St. Juvenal, a bishop of Jerusalem at the Council of Chalcedon, 451, was was, was referred to there. And there are many liturgical references that refers to her assumption in the East in the 6th century, and then, of course, if we look to Scripture, we see Revelation 12 1. So I'll end the first little part here of that uh, on our Blessed Mother and encourage you to, to kindle a, a strong devotion to our Blessed Mother. And this is the, as part of, this, of, the, of the proposed solution. So now we have the Rosary and we have additional uh, focus on our Blessed Mother. And now we move to Eucharistic adoration. And another important act of devotion. That I feel is very important is prayer and adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. This could be of course with uh, the Eucharistic adoration with the with the Blessed Sacrament exposed uh, That's what we refer to as Eucharistic adoration, but you can also have adoration before the tabernacle as well But here we have a here. We have a great opportunity To spend an intimate time with our Lord in prayer. You know, it's a great source of grace that our Lord offers us in a unique way. And we should know, of course, as Catholics, that our Lord is present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the in the Blessed Sacrament. Saint John Bosco said, quote, Take refuge often at the feet of Jesus. My dear ones, the visit to the Blessed Sacrament is an extremely necessary way to conquer the devil. Therefore, go often to visit Jesus, and the devil will not come out victorious against you. End quote. St. Augustine, his commentary on Psalm ninety-eight, says that if we do not worship the sacred host, then we are indeed sinning. Going before the Blessed Sacrament also gives us a grand opportunity to engage in prayer and to listen what God has to say to us. We often forget that we live to do the will of God, not our own will. And I think a lot of times it's easy to forget that, that we're we're always looking on what we want to do and 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 what we think um, from our own experiences in life, that we should be doing certain things. But we, if we pray and we listen to what God's saying to us, we should be looking to do his will. And then he will reveal that to us. St. Bernadette gives us an idea of what we should have in mind when we come before the Blessed Sacrament. Quote, Whenever I go to the chapel, I put myself in the presence of our good Lord. And I say to him, Lord, I am here. Tell me what you would have me to do. And then I tell God everything that is in my heart. I tell him about my pains and my joys, and then I listen. If you listen, God will also speak to you. For with the good Lord, you have to both speak and listen. God always speaks to you when you approach him plainly and simply. End quote. I think that that advice is uh, very good advice, and we probably do usually a lot more talking than we do listening. Now, most of you probably know that Fulton Sheen he used to spend an hour a day before the Blessed Sacrament. He said that that was the, the, the best thing that he could do every day. Of course, you know, probably from saying Mass and, and receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, but he said as far as the time that he spent, during the day, his free time, that his best time was spent before the, 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 this Blessed Sacrament. There are many graces that come through the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. One that is often overlooked is the increase in faith that comes from this adoration. And Cardinal Raymond Burke says, quote, The failure to participate in Eucharistic adoration is a sign of the loss of the Eucharistic faith, end quote. So we should all believe that Christ is truly present, yet, when we come, we bow down before the Blessed Sacrament, It increases our faith in this reality, and affords us to receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist more firmly. The great Cardinal Wiseman once said, quote, A visit to the Blessed Sacrament declares at once the simple, hearty, practical belief in the life, in the real presence of Christ, a plain conviction a meeting with God face to face. Finally, we must remember that time spent before the Blessed Sacrament is worth more than almost anything else we could be doing, say on a Friday evening. St. Gabriel Pacenti said, quote, There is more sweetness in one hour of prayer before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament than in all the world's crowded theaters, in brilliant drawing rooms, in giddy diversions, in social gatherings. End quote so i would highly recommend that you spend some time before the blessed sacrament when you can and that will also enrich your spiritual life and draw you closer to christ finally i want to end this third part of the podcast by recommending that you do spiritual reading so we must not we must enrich our our faith with with spiritual reading and meditation, as well as these these other things that I've talked spoken about. Of course, I haven't talked spoken about the mass and things like that. And of course, that's kind of one of the prerequisites that I talked about um, uh, in the in the first podcast that you need to be going to mass and receiving the sacraments and so forth. And again, I could do a whole series on just the importance of going to mass, but here in this three part series where I'm proposing this solution that we can kind of do on our own um, this uh, third part here is Lexio Divina or or spiritual divine reading is really the direct translation first and foremost this means reading and meditating on sacred scripture and the spiritual writings of the saints So no, the Protestants don't have a lock on reading Scripture. The Catholic Church actually gave us the Scriptures. And we as Catholics are expected to read and meditate on Scripture. That's a Catholic thing. And it's also important to read the lives of the saints and the early church fathers as well. It's very important for you to carefully choose what you read. And this is my personal opinion, and I always try to tell you when it's my personal opinion versus taking something, lifting something from one of the saints or um, so forth. My personal opinion is that most of the modern Catholic books on the market are dangerous for our faith. And so it's my recommendation that you stick with the classics and the authors who have been formed in in the scholastic sense, uh, such as Thomism or the traditional spiritual writings, and of course, you, you a lot of you know what they are, and uh, I will I will recommend just four here because there's so many that that you can that you can read that you could possibly never read them in a lifetime before you even get to the new books. And I'm not saying that every single new book out there is no good and to not give it a chance, but there's so much garbage out there, and there's people just are not formed properly, and their writings are rooted in modern philosophical ideas, and they're not, a lot of them aren't even Catholic, so here, here there are a ton of spiritual classics, I think, that are worth their weight in gold, so they're they're like a spiritual treasure chest, so I recommend reading these, rather than trying to kind of sift through a dumpster looking for something valuable in the newer publications, because that's what it's kind of like, you have to take a lot of time to kind of go through and see, you know, if this is a good book, or that's a good book, and then you might get some good stuff out of it, there might be some Some questionable things in it. Well, if you go with the older books, you're not going to have that. It's going to be like opening a treasure chest and everything you pull out of that treasure chest is going to be great stuff. So I'm just going to list off four books here. Just my personal favorites at this particular time in my life. So again, a lot of other cool stuff out there. So right now, in my reading list, The Dialogue by St. Catherine of Siena awesome book, a lot of theology there, and I think that if we pulled this book out and made most of the bishops read this, they would probably have a fit, because they would read some of this theology, and they would probably not be able to digest it, because it is in your face, the dialogue of God the Father with St. Catherine of Siena, and it will blow you away when you read it. I first tried to read this book when I first converted, and I wasn't really ready for it, and I've gone back here. Many years later, and it's really been a powerful book. On top of that, I really like the letters of Saint Catherine of Siena. You can find a lot of these online for free. The dialogue and the letters, I think you can find both of those online for nothing, uh, or of course you can you can get them relatively cheap in paperback form. The letters are a bit harder to find in um, uh, in a printed form, but you can find them online. Um, but they're very, very good, and again, I think the way she handles different individuals she's writing back and forth to, we would probably, a lot of people today that call themselves Catholic, would probably be offended by what St. Catherine of Siena writes, but it's very enlightening, spiritually enlightening, in how she writes and the, the, what she recommends. So I recommend those, The Letters of St. Catherine of Siena. The other book I recommend, uh, the last two, the, the Soul of the Apostolate. And I referenced this in the first part of the talk, talking about the heresy of good works. This book is awesome, and it really puts things into perspective, in the balance, the proper foundation of the spiritual life uh, in, in our active works. That's called The Soul of the Apostolate by Father Chotard. Finally, I think a great book on our Blessed Mother is called Mother of the Savior by Gary Lagrange. Awesome book, and it really puts these those Marian dogmas uh, and puts them in the proper context of our Catholic faith and helps us to understand who our Blessed Mother is. And so I recommend that by Gary Goulagrange, Mother of the Savior. I'm going to end by a quote from St. John of the Cross. And I think it kind of sums up kind of what this, what this podcast has been about. And and it's I've really tried to drive the message home that we need to have a strong spiritual life before we go out and try to do all kinds of things. So and, and of course I'm not referring to your daily duties. I think we talked about that as being a mother or a father or the work we have to do, or or, or those types of things. I'm talking about the things that we do as Catholics things that we do in concerning the faith and what we're going to actually spend our time doing has to be rooted in the foundation of a lot of prayer and devotion. Saint John of the Cross, I'm going to use a quote here from him to kind of close this three part series. He says this quote, "Let the men eat up eaten up with activity," he says and who imagine they are able to shake the world with their preaching and other outward works, stop and reflect a moment. It will not be difficult for them to understand that they would be much more useful to the church and much more pleasing to the Lord, not to mention the good example they would give to those around them, if they devoted more time to prayer and to the exercises of the interior life. End quote. Thank you very much for joining me for this third podcast called The State of Grace.